that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great From the moment you're a small bambino You eat pizza, you drink vino Then they make you roly-poly You get stuffed with ravioli If your mama's a paisano You will have the world on a plate So see that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Italian-American Podcast. It's Johnny V here with you, flying solo this week. And before you turn the dial and... uh, Reject the idea of having to sit alone with me. Don't worry. I have a very special guest coming in to speak to us today. But first and foremost, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I hope it was a beautiful holiday and a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. I know it's been a strange one, but hopefully everybody got a little bit of time with the family that they could and a good meal and some relaxation and reflection on the year that's closing and the year that's coming up uh, in about a month and a half. We're going to be looking at 2021. So Some exciting things are coming up. I know it's been a very weird time, but part of the reason that I wanted to put this episode together today was because I get to have an intimate conversation with a good friend of mine about something that I really care about that is looking forward to a very positive 2021, and that's the National Italian American Sports Hall of Fame in Chicago. I've been on the board of the Sports Hall of Fame for a long time now, and I was brought on by its founder, the late, great George Randazzo, who we're going to talk a lot about today, who... I know was a mentor to both myself and our oncoming guest, and the hall's been through a lot of interesting ups and downs, but coming to sit with me today is its current president, good friend of mine, and a guy who has done a lot for the Hall of Fame, the city of Chicago, and really the Italian-American community across the nation. So it's a great pleasure for me to welcome my friend, Ron Onesti. Ron, welcome to the Italian-American Podcast. Ah, Johnny, man, it's so good to see you and hear you and, and be on this show, you know, you talk about pride. We're so proud of you, what you've done. You've taken the bull by the horns and you have created something that we really need. You know, our community has such a rich culture, rich heritage, as you know, a lot of great things. A lot of people think we're just about pasta, but there's so many other things about it. But what we do lack definitely is like a communication, a centralized source of information and the fostering of our culture and heritage. And that's what you've been doing with this podcast. I love listening to it. I mean, it's a great thing that you're doing. We're really proud of you. Thanks, Ron. I appreciate that. I mean, I really, I I think about the fact that I've learned a lot from you and how you conduct your businesses. I mean, obviously you're, you're running the hall. You're also now the new head of the joint civic committee of Italian American groups in Chicago, right? Yes. The biggest group of Italian American groups in Chicago. So, you know, you're obviously busy in your Italian American capacity. You also have a very successful business in real life. As I say, you run how many facilities now? So I own uh, two theaters, the uh, Arcata Theater in St. Charles, Illinois, and the Desplaines Theater uh, in Desplaines, right near O'Hare Airport. They're two uh, roughly 900-seat venues, and it's live music. So everybody from uh, Brett Michaels of Poison to Paul Anka and everybody in between. So we do a, a lot of that kind of stuff. And you do a lot of events all over the place too, right? Outside the theaters. I mean, you're always producing something. So yeah. I certainly learned a lot about production and putting stuff together, watching you as I was growing up. And, yeah, you know, for me, I probably wouldn't have been doing any of the stuff that I have done if it wasn't for George and the Hall of Fame. Right. Because I was a young kid and he took a chance on me. Well, I remember, you know, uh, you coming around, uh, this guy, this sharply dressed young man. Uh, <laughs> Nobody's as sharply dressed as you, my friend. You, I, <laughs> I've always envied your cufflinks and your jackets. I try to model myself. You've always got the best blazers and stuff. So rock and roll. I try. No, you know what? Seriously, remember you when you first coming around, your dad, of course, and, and your involvement with, of course, NIAF. And, and you know, it's, uh, it's something we kind of both grew up with. Uh, I started with the Hall of Fame right around the beginning in 1979, 1980, as you know, it started out in 1977 as a boxing hall of fame and went right to a sports hall of fame when Tommy Lasorda jumped on and Joe DiMaggio jumped on. So uh, since 1978, uh, a great uh, hall of fame and, and it's gone through several evolutions. Um, I grew up in it too. I mean, I've been with it like, I don't know, 40 years or something. Um, and it, it did teach us uh, both a lot. I own six restaurants now and four bars and a lot of that hospitality stuff and, and, and my theaters and I also have an amusement park. Uh, 
I mean, all kinds of stuff like, you know, it's crazy, but you know, all kidding aside, all this stuff that I got going really, really, just like you had mentioned, John, a lot of it stems from the experiences we've got uh, with the hall of fame and with George specifically, uncle George. Yeah. The one and only I, I want to yep. spend some time because one of the things I regret in doing this show and my co-host Pedal Boyle has been beating me up about it really because he, he did tell me a million times. He kept saying, you know, let's go down to Chicago with the equipment and let's yeah. sit down with George and, and talk about his stories. And, you know, I, I talked to George a lot for many, many years. He really was like a third grandfather to me. Yep. And uh, you just take for granted that you're going to be able to do that show one day. And it dawned on me when we lost George suddenly uh, over a year ago now. I had forgotten some of the stories that he told me, ones that I thought I would prompt him. So it really means a lot to me that you and I get to sit down and do this because uh, there are a lot of people who know a lot of great George stories, but I think at least between us, we'll, we'll come up with some of the real gems. Absolutely. There's too many uh, just moments. It's not even a story. There's just moments. Yeah. You know, that we had. I could think of a lot of the stuff that he taught me, but I want to introduce first a little bit about the hall and how it came to be. As I understood it, George, George Rendaz was a Sicilian-American. He's, his family had come from Sicily to Brooklyn. His parents ended up in Chicago where he was born, a real uh, heart and soul Chicago guy. I mean, nobody loved that city more than George. George started the Hall of Fame after his service in Vietnam really as a charity to help raise money for a Catholic school, right? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, he uh, was originally from an area in Chicago uh, we call Chicago Avenue, which is, you know, Chicago is, most people know it's a city, we call it a city of neighborhoods. And uh, we have several Italian neighborhoods. Of course, there's Taylor Street, which is our official little Italy, but there's several pockets uh, of uh, kind of Italian uh, areas there. And Chicago Avenue uh, was one of them. And he was from there. And, uh, and yeah, there was uh, his high school that he was trying to support and trying to come up with a way to raise some money. You know, but before that, you know, he always had a passion. For boxing. I mean, between him and his father, it's something that really, really drove him. And he loved it. I mean, it was such a passion. He was just like when I, when I was younger, I collected baseball cards and many of us collected baseball cards. He was for all those old vintage pictures of, of boxers. And that's where he really wanted to start this kind of Hall of Fame. And it really wasn't a Hall of Fame. It was more like a book. He came up with a book. We just found it, actually. The original book where he just did all these, uh, and I know, unfortunately, Fortunately and unfortunately, going through all these boxes of things, uncovering some gems. But it was just like mimeographed, if you old people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, it's this, like, you know, copied page by page biography of Joey Giardello and Tony DeMarco and Carmen Basilio and all these, not just your Rocky Marcianos and Grazianos. I mean, a lot of the guys that, who were, uh, you know, the welterweight champion or sub-champions or, you know, he just had this this love for boxing, and then he had a conversation. Uh, he was able to get a hold of Joe DiMaggio through a, a couple of friends uh, of his at the time, because Joe was a friend of a lot of guys in Chicago, had a lot of friends in Chicago, and uh, and it was Joe that really said, uh, "Why are you doing just boxing?" Because Joe was, I don't want to say he was arrogant because that's going to come out wrong, but he was very um, confident. Let's put it that way. Yeah, confident. You know, yeah, really confident. And you know, look. He was who he was, Joe. He was the greatest of all time in baseball. I mean, arguably, if he wasn't the greatest, he was the top five. Yeah. And he knew it. And he wasn't afraid to remind you of that. And that was a conversation that he and George had. And, and he, he had such a very intriguing uh, relationship with Joe DiMaggio over the years. You know, sometimes, you know, I'd be with him all the time, as you knew. And sometimes Joe was great, but most of the time he was an ornery guy. Yeah, he was tough. I mean, just was. And, you know, we broke ground on Taylor Street. And this was after being Arlington Heights and after being on Grand Avenue, if you want to go back in history of our history of our evolution of, of locations. But we broke ground on Taylor Street and across from the building that we were about to build for the Hall of Fame was going to be a piazza. The city uh, gifted us a, a parcel of land. And we had this great statue of Joe himself that was a gift from um, Anheuser-Busch and Eddie DeBartolo Jr. from the San Francisco 49ers. And uh, they sponsored it, and they had this beautiful statue built, and we had it outside of the Hall of Fame in Arlington Heights, which was the second location after the original one on Grand Avenue in Elmwood Park. When we moved from Arlington Heights to Taylor Street and broke down, we took the statue with us. The city gifted us a piece of property across the street from the new Hall of Fame to be built, and so we, we were going to call it Piazza DiMaggio. 
So Joe DiMaggio comes in for the groundbreaking and he was, and it was the weekend of our gala. So we had him doing all kinds of things. One of the things we thought, Gary Hall, as you know, another uncle of ours, George's best friend, who was a, a big shot over at the Chicago Stock Exchange. And he made it where uh, we would have Joe DiMaggio ring the bell and open up the stock exchange. You know, so he said, Roddy, you got to work this out because I was the, the facilitator of a lot of these things, you know. <laughs> they had the great ideas and make it happen. So, okay. <laughs> so we made it happen. I got him video footage of I had this big video wall up there and, and I got him video footage of, of Joe, which they never had anything outside of the mutuals, whatever you call those numbers. <laughs> and, uh, and they, for a second, not only did they play the video up there and, and pull all the numbers, the mutual numbers down first time in history, but for the first time in history, they actually stopped trading. When we walked in with Joe, the place went up for grabs and they stopped trading. And it was Pat Arbor, it was Chip Ganassi, the race car driver, Tommy Lasorda, myself, Gary, and Joe, of course. It was just, a, you know, obviously a few of us. And so I, I got one of his Joe DiMaggio baseball bats. He was going to, you know, I said, don't use a hammer, use a bat. Okay, we're going to do that. So I got this whole, you know, me from putting on the gallows and stuff. I'm very meticulous with this happening this time, this happening. So I had this whole schedule from 9 o'clock or whatever it was, 9.30, whatever it is, you know, to 11, because we're going to have lunch at this place, really nice. So I'm not like a money guy with this kind of stuff. I don't know how this opening bell stuff works. So we walk in there, we do this whole thing. Um, we've got the audience. We're going to ring the bell. Let's say it was 9.30. So 9.29, we do the countdown. And then ding, 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 with the hits the bell with the bat. It went great. So now 9.31, they look at me and say, they like, okay, now what are we doing? I'm like, holy crap. That's all this is. That's it. I'm like, oh, we got lunch at 11. We didn't know. We're like, what are we gonna do with Joe DiMaggio for an hour and a half? We had no plan. So Pat Arbor had this beautiful cherry wood thousand square foot office. Pat said, let's just go sit upstairs with Joe, and we'll stash him there. Then we'll take him to lunch. So thank you very much. So we do that, and so now you got Tommy Lasorda, and you got Joe DiMaggio sitting face to face. Stories about Gabby Hartnett and Babe Ruth and Luke Gehrig and all this great stuff. And we were sitting back there just, you know, and Tommy was like keeping up with him. And Joe's like, you remember that son of a bee and that thing? He was that Gabby Hartnett. What a terrible guy. He was just all these great stories of, uh, of major league history unfolding right in front of us. And George was like, we we're all standing with our mouths open, staring. So now we've, again, we've got him up early doing this bell ringing. We got him here, autograph this, whatever. So now we got the gala that night, John. And I go to his room and, you know, meet uh, Bob Allegrini, your good friend, of course. And a couple other, we go up to his room, knock on his door to go get Joe. You know, the, the, the gal is ready. Everybody thinks all set. We're knocking, knocking, knocking. He doesn't answer. Finally, five minutes. We're like, should we call him? What do we do? The door opens really slow. Hello, Mr. DiMaggio. We're ready to take you downstairs. He stared at us and then slammed the door shut right in front of our face. <laughs> what the hell? Didn't say a word. Like, oh, man. Five minutes later, door opens. Okay, we go downstairs. We don't, you know, we're, it's very awkward. So he's sitting there, and we had Andretti there that night. We had a lot, lot, of, lot of heavyweights, and uh, and I'm sitting there. You know, I sit back there with the headphones on, calling this, making this happen, whatever it is. And and he was like the raffle. I put Joe DiMaggio as the last speaker. You know, keep everybody going. I mean, he's 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 you know he's the man. He's the icing on the cake, right? Yeah. yeah. So now in the middle, of the event. You know, uh, they're calling me on the radio, like, Ron, check out Joe. He's nodding off at the table. <laughs> like, we're going to lose him. We're going to lose him. I'm like, all right, you know what? Well, let's put Andretti in the back. And, uh, he'll be the last speaker. Let's move him up. We're doing all this thing. And just as we go to go get him, he stands up. And now, now this is at a time, John, I think just before you got involved, because our gal is as wonderful as they've been. Back then, we'd have like 2,000 people. It was almost as big as the NIAF gal at 3,600. I mean, it was tremendous. Yeah. But he stood up. The plates went like radio silent and he stood up and we're like, where's he going? And he gets up, he walks, he's like, he's freaking leaving. He's walking, walking. So now I'm chasing him. George gets up. He's like walking. We're all going. There's like five of us chasing him and everybody's quiet. Like 2000 people quiet. He turns around and he goes, God damn it. Can a guy take a pee? <laughs> so, <laughs> and the place was quiet, but then we fell out. So, we had some great times with Joe. We really, really did. He was a wonderful, he really was a good guy. And let me, if I can tell you one last thing about it, not to overtake your show here. But no, no, it's good. <laughs> so, you know, that all happened, right? We had the groundbreaking for Piazza DiMaggio across the street from the hall. And it was wonderful. And the whole thing happened. Okay, so now, it, 
as you know, it took us a couple of two, three, four years almost to build the Hall of Fame. Yeah. We finally build it, we finally open it. Unfortunately, Joe had passed. So he wasn't there to do the uh, ribbon cutting. So we, we got his brother, the little professor, Dominic DiMaggio, to come from the Boston Red Sox. And we actually have his glasses. And we have a lot of, we have a lot of Dominic DiMaggio and some Vince DiMaggio stuff too, of all the DiMaggio brothers. And uh, Dominic was there at the ribbon cutting at the podium. And he said some really cool words that we didn't know. And even George, it was, he just nudged me and he was started laughing. And, you know, George didn't laugh much. He smiled, but he didn't laugh yeah, much. He, didn't he laugh laughed much. at this. Dominic was at the podium and he said, you know what? It's only fitting. And we appreciate it so much. I appreciate it so much that you would honor my brother and me and my other brother, my family, the DiMaggio family here in Little Italy on Taylor Street. Because little known to many people, the DiMaggio family started and we were all born on Taylor Street in San Francisco's Little Italy. And we're like, wow. holy cow. I had no idea. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of chills. So that um, was a, another great day, another great DiMaggio day, whether Joe was there or not. And his presence was felt. It, it's being felt uh, to this day. I'm sitting in the parking lot of our brand new building, uh, which we closed, as you know. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, a couple of days ago. And I'm looking at a place for a mural of Joe DiMaggio. So his, his presence is still being felt to this moment. George had an amazing ability to collect people around him, right? I mean, we'll talk a little bit about him as a personality as we go on and but for a guy like Joe DiMaggio, who was so ornery and who was so private, I mean, people really do kind of think the mythology is he had one friend and that was his lawyer, Morris Engelberg. Yep. But in truth, you know, as far as friends go, I think George was at least in his inner circle of trust. You know what I mean? This was a guy that he would call on and would spend time with. Uh, you know, I don't know how friendly Joe ever got to anybody, but you know, he had his moments, but he tirelessly supported the hall and pushed George to grow this thing. and what starts out as a boxing dinner to raise money quickly becomes a collecting point. I mean, you know, in the, in the late seventies, 1977, then 78, you know, NIAF was only started in 75, right? The Italian American civil rights league, 71. This was kind of the arrival of Italian Americans as activists in a community. And here comes this great hall of fame. And like you say, the institution has moved a few times, right? Over time, the collection has grown I mean, I think of some of the items that have been donated to the hall and some of the amazing names and stories that are in there. I always think back to the idea that one of the first items donated to be put on display, which I still can't even believe, was Rocky Marciano's championship belt, right? Yeah. You know, it's something that we got from his family. And, you know, another thing, another little known fact, okay, so we got this great belt but also what was pinned on it. So I don't, I forget what they call them, but I don't know if you remember, John, but they're these little um, kind of cloth uh, saint pictures on, on little squares of cloth. Yeah, sure. With yeah. a safety pin. Yeah, yeah. And his mother put this safety pin with the cloth on his championship belt and that came with it. We didn't realize it. So that's there wow. too. Um, no, the, you know what? The collection is just crazy. And you're right. George had this way. I mean, I look at Matt Biondi's, you know, 11 uh, Olympic, eight gold medals, two silvers, one bronze. I mean, he gave them all to us, you know, yeah. um, World Series rings, Vince Lombardi's playbook. I mean, I was fortunate enough to, you know, all those jerseys, everything in the hall. I screw gunned everything. I mean, <laughs> to the wall. I mean, basically what, ha what had happened was, you know, we we're getting close to opening. And we're designing everything. I would go to uh, St. Louis every week on a Monday to meet with the Anheuser-Busch's design team, Bush Creative. And I'd say, you know, I'd, I'd lead the design team on, okay, let's figure out this uh, exhibit. Let's, and then I'd fly back to Chicago. Every week I would do that. And then, you know, we started thinking about when we're going to open and gonna be, a, I mean, a big, big deal. Well, Dan Marino, we were trying to get for a long time. I mean, he's one of the greats, obviously, as well. And he said, okay, I remember the date. It was I could be there May 7th. We're like, oh my gosh, he gave us a date. Okay, so that's, he gave us that date like April 20th or something. Wow. And the place was, I mean, if you saw it, John, on April 20th, you'd be like, holy f it's going to be another year. <laughs> and literally, for two weeks, Johnny, I locked myself in there. I didn't go home, I swear. I just did, the, I did a little bath in the sink without a bad visual going on. I would stay there. I literally stayed there for two weeks, screw gunning every jersey, every freaking baseball glove, everything. And I got done at May 6th at 2 in the morning. And then we had, when we had uh, Dan Marino come, and it was great. And, you know, to be able to touch and to handle 
you know, these unbelievable things, yeah. myths of history. Yeah. Again, you know, I was thumbing through Vince Lombardi's playbook, which is a three ring loose leaf binder with all the hand, you know, all the X's and O's and the arrows going around and, and people like, like Newt Rockney's phone numbers. Um, I mean, stuff <laughs> like, it was like, it's just mind blowing, you know, mind it's primary history. Yeah. Oh, it really is. And, uh, and really was. And, uh, and that's why I'm excited now, you know, to be able to have this opportunity again, to set this place up and we're really looking forward to your help and, and your guides with this as well, being a part of it. Um, because you've been and your family's been such a big part of this thing. And you mentioned, um, earlier about uh joe's uh unique relationship about not having a lot of friends but you're right he uh he didn't let a lot of people in but george you know for for me when i saw him with him to me it was like watching a father and a son yeah more than friends because he would yell at him he'd scold him (laughs) he'd be like a kid yeah and george would freaking put his head down and like a kid And then they would laugh and he'd say something. Then you'd see him, you know, do a little, little bit of affection there, a little hug or something. And then he'd get pissed off again. And he would, I mean, it was really like watching a father son. It really was more than friends. That's kind of the thing that I think I've learned in my time working in this community. And, you know, Pat and I always joke, you're a professional Italian American like we are, right? I mean, you just can't get away from this. So right. we always say there's got to be some trauma at the early part of our lives to explain why we would do this to ourselves. But the truth is, I think you just hit the nail on the head. I noticed when I was at NIAF, you know, I'd get into these arguments with board members, 40 board members, many of whom I had known growing up being active in the organization. And, you know, you'd have disagreements at the board table or in meetings and stuff. But then you know, if I was having trouble in another part of my life, I could talk to these people like Dutch uncles. And it dawned on me, if I was the executive director of the American Heart Association, I'd never have that relationship with my board members, Mm -hmm. because they're not part of my tribe. But when you work amongst the community, even at the highest professional level, you're still part of this extended familia, really. And, And I think that there's a beauty in that. It does get frustrating, but you build those family bonds. And I think of the time I've put in with the organization, like the hall and the friends that I have, like yourself and others in Chicago, where it's a city that I visited once growing up. But now, after all these years, I know I have family there, you know? You do. You really do. And, you know, you're right. You mentioned earlier about my kind of involvement and all these other Italian-American things going on here. You know, I mean, I I don't know. I'm not going to say that it's unique to our specific uh, ethnic group. All, all ethnicities have their uh, familial structures that, that transcend generation to generation. But for me personally, I, I agree with you. I mean, all these relationships uh, that I've, I've created are fostered by way of vehicles such as the Hall of Fame or the Joint Civic Committee of Italian Americans or my Italian festivals or my evening with Sophia Loren. As, as you remember that? Oh, that was great. Yeah. I mean, stuff like that. But it is, it's such a, a, a family connection as opposed to a business connection that it's really uh, what kept me in the ball game. And, I'm, and I feel very fortunate that my profession in life um, has allowed me to foster our heritage. And I think now more than ever is absolutely the most important time in our American history. Yeah. Italians. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think, I mean, I gotta say almost ever because we're frankly so close to lose. We could, it could go either way. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, we're talking at the beginning of the show about how strange of a year it's been, 2020. So many small Italian businesses have closed, institutions. Some of, you know, I just was reading yesterday uh, this restaurant, Spiritos in New Jersey, that my buddies and I would go to, 100 year old place is going to close. But there's also light at the end of those tunnels and there is rebirth and renewal. And the hall is the perfect example of that because if a 40 some odd year old institution, 43 years now, like we said, three homes. And I think getting to the place on Taylor Street, which is, I would say in Chicago, for those who don't know Chicago, you know, Taylor Street is to the multiple Chicago Little Italy's like Mulberry Street is to uh, New York's. There are other more authentic neighborhoods that are more Italian now, but that's the Park Avenue, if you will, of, of Italian Chicago. And to build this beautiful edifice, that was, you know, state of the art and this great museum and these displays that you put together and designed. And um, we had a lot of great events there and the names that came through. But ultimately, in the 2008 crash, what was an organization that was granting millions of dollars in donations to special needs athletes and schools and programs really got hit hard. The hall got hit to the point where we almost lost it. And 
it was really through the sheer will and commitment of a, of a wonderful collection of people that this place not only survived, but then began to thrive again. And now, uh, as we look at 2021, which can't get here soon enough, uh, we got a new home coming up that you're sitting outside of. Yeah, This is really exciting to me because it's in a very Italian block, right? Absolutely. Tell the audience a little bit about the new facility and where it is and, and what it means for the hall. Well, you know, um, as you mentioned, Johnny, 2008 was the beginning of, uh, of a challenging time, uh, even though, you know, we opened up basically in 2004, but when all that economic was happening, you know, and people stopped donating and, and, and we were just still in the building of our funding campaigns, all that stuff. And, and it was really a struggle. And, you know, it never, the struggle really never let up for George. I mean, all these, all those years never did. So about a year before George had passed away, we, the decision was made you know, we got to relocate, do something because this is a, a, a multi-million dollar facility, just gorgeous, wonderful. As you said, there's hundreds of fabulous events and everybody from uh, the, the signing of contracts for USA basketball with Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, I mean, was there. I mean, just, I can go on and on and on and on about just great things that happened. There. But uh, it was really, really tough. And, you know, we had been looking for a building for, I don't know, a number of years, actually, at that point, that would really be big enough, but not too big something affordable, um, but something also the location is very important. You know, it has to be in, a, in an area that kind of uh, reflects on the culture that we're trying to perpetuate, you know, to do, you know, the National Italian American Sports Hall of Fame in Chinatown, for example, probably wouldn't be the best thing, but, you know, that's, that's what we're trying to find. And then, you know, so everything went into storage and we're trying to figure this out. We lost George, it was a tragedy. You know, we on the board, they, they, and I didn't know that was this was coming, John. I swear to God, when they named me president, I mean, Tony Ferraro called me. He said, "Guess what? We have a president." I'm like, "Finally, that's awesome!" And I was like, really, he was messing with me like for five minutes. Like that is so cool because we really need somebody to lead this thing. You know, all that stuff." He goes, "Hey, uh, that's the good news." <laughs> I said, "Oh, really?" He said, "Yeah, you're it." Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I mean, when is this even happen? That was my first. I mean, I was president. I don't know in June or July, and I had a building like in 30 days because, you know, to be respected, you can't have a PO box. Yeah. And that's why it really hit the bricks and Harlem Avenue, if you're not familiar with Chicago. So it's basically on the uh, near O'Hare airport side. It's about 20 minutes from O'Hare. It's still in the city of Chicago, but it's where a lot of the police officers and the firefighters live because to be a firefighter, a police officer, a first responder in Chicago, you must live in the city. So a lot of them move to the outskirts of the city and a lot of them are Italian, Italian American. Yeah. And so that's why this is such an Italian American neighborhood. And there's a lot of great shops, great restaurants, a lot of green, white, and red all over already. 30 years ago, they did start another little Italy. I mean, an official little Italy here on Harlem Avenue. Um, about 10 years ago, it fell by the wayside about 15 years ago. And right now, as we speak, I got this building going. I got all the local businesses together, all the Italian restaurants. I said, you know what? This is going to be a big deal with a lot of effort, energy, and money with regards to marketing and bringing people here. We want the neighborhood to thrive. Let's all get together. I want to see how this Hall of Fame can help you guys. So we just started the um, uh, Harlem Avenue Little Italy Business Association here, and we've got all these great restaurants and great shops and great businesses as members. We've got such a resounding uh, support here, Johnny. I, I can't wait till you come over here. I know you're going to come over uh, as soon as you can. I can't wait to introduce you not only to the hall itself and the building, but to the area. Uh, you're going to love it. I know you. You're going to love it. <laughs> There's nothing, nothing I love more than an Italian enclave. That you could just leave me in an Italian neighborhood. Enclaveiferous. I'm telling you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm, I really can't wait. And that, that's a hard dichotomy for Italian American institutions because, like you say, 
it's very limited to where you can go, right? You have to go somewhere that's discernibly Italian American for it to kind of make sense thematically. But the truth of the matter is, if you try to go to some of these little Italy's, many of them are, are not particularly Italian anymore. So the audience isn't there. So you got to kind of find the sweet spot of a place that's both thematically Italian, but also close to the population. And it sounds like this is going to be a great opportunity for a lot of people who may not have made their way to Taylor Street to get to see the hall, its collections, its programs. I, I want to talk a little bit about what the hall has done over the years, because I don't know how many thousands of items are in the collection, but like you say, everything from Matt Biondi's Olympic medals to Lombardi's playbook and DiMaggio. I mean, you name the Italian-American athlete, they're there. Yep. But also beyond the museum and learning center is the programs that were created by George, really, to, to not only spread the word, but also use our Italian-American experience for others. He was so inclusive. Mm-hmm. That's the thing I loved about him. He was so proud of, of who we were, but he took the time to love and learn every other group, too. So one of the things I always loved was his program, A Level Playing Field. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. The Level Playing Field was uh, an initiative that George began because, again, it kind of reached back a little bit to the boxing world because there's a couple of organizations like the Chicago Crushers Club, for example. They take inner city kids who are troubled, you know, where they got, they're just about to get involved in a life of crime or they have been a little bit or, you know, that kind of a rough uh, situation. And they put them in boxing gloves and they teach them sportsmanship. They teach them discipline. They teach them accomplishment. They teach them all that stuff. So George is always very, was always, and, and, and helped teach me this as well, um, very sensitive to uh, all cultures. Um, you know, the plight of the Italians coming here is very similar to the plight of so many other ethnic groups. And uh, George recognized that. And Chicago, as I mentioned before, it's a city and neighborhoods. You had your Puerto Rican neighborhoods, your Mexican neighborhoods, your African-American neighborhoods, your Italian neighborhoods. You had that. And, and literally divided by street. Like we couldn't go past the, the street. They couldn't come past this street. That's how it was back in the 40s, 50s, 60s. But as we grew, and we grew to love each other and understand other ethnic groups more. George brought that uh, to the Hall of Fame. And uh, we raised over $6 million in scholarships and funded many programs like the Chicago Crushers Club. There was uh, several Hispanic organizations that we, uh, and again, a lot of it was, uh, was uh, baseball and a lot of it was boxing programs. And uh, when it came to multi-ethnic, multicultural initiatives that we could do uh, in conjunction uh, what he was so much about it. And, uh, and I, I personally, I learned a lot from that. I really, really did. And that's what leads me. Matter of fact, that's one of the reasons why one of the pieces of the puzzle in the hall of fame, something that's become so important more now, again, than I don't know than any other time, maybe, you know, race relations. So, you know, I, I've been putting together various pieces of information on race relations as it pertains to Italian Americans in sports, even as of late, Doug Bruno, who is the head coach of DePaul Women's Basketball Program, 30-year, 30 30-some-year, 30 whatever coach, uh, head coach there. And I recently found out that, um, so they would go on these, on these bus tours. Uh, I mean, when they go on tour, they, they go by bus with the girls. And when they would ride through Washington, D.C., at the, uh, the mall, and he would literally hand out copies of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. And they, he would read it on the bus and they would discuss it. And he did that specifically to honor Martin Luther King every time they drove by the mall when they would have games uh, in and around Washington, D.C. He was honored for that. I called our, our good friend and, and God bless him right now as he's uh, in intensive care, Tommy Lasorda. I've spoken to his family on numerous occasions in the last week uh, because uh, just to give you a report that, uh, that the words are, um, he's definitely hanging in there and he's always been a fighter and he's doing better. But, you know, I, I gave Tommy a call when all this stuff was happening, this recent stuff. And I called and I, and I said, you know, Tommy, I'm, I'm doing this piece in the Hall of Fame with regards to Italian-Americans and race relations. I'd like to get your input on the whole uh, Frank Robinson. Uh, Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson. Frank well, Robinson. Frank was, was the, the first manager. Time. Jackie Robinson. Yes. So, you know, I said, what was it like? I mean, obviously it was a few years uh, before you, but I mean, I know you lived it. You know, and he said, no, we lived it tremendously. I mean, being the Dodgers and everything, he says, you know what? We respected him because he worked really, really hard. Um, he says, we didn't know what racism was back then. You know, you just, it, it didn't, I mean, it existed. 
and you saw it, but it didn't really have a name. Now you have all kinds of awareness for that. But you got to remember that the, the awareness that we have today about social issues, we didn't really know. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, we really respected this guy and we couldn't understand because we were from the East Coast and a lot of us from New York and we would go down South and play games. And he would be like, just booed and treated horribly. And we didn't even realize about the colored only hotels and the colored only drinking fountains. So you know, he really gave me an insight of how the evolution of race relations happened from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. You know, he said he taught us a lot about being men and being fair and being brothers. And uh, wow. uh, just a, it, was, it was a great conversation. And you'll see that with a few other uh, examples in our Hall of Fame with regards to Italian and Italian-American race relations. That's wonderful. I mean, first of all, to be able to have a conversation with a Hall of Fame manager like Tommy Lasorda, who is another guy that I've gotten to know really so blessed to be able to know through the Hall and yeah. uh, just a font of, of stories and history. To get it from the mouth of the horse, you know, and to have be able to put that in the hall, that's a blessing for us as an institution. But I give you a lot of credit. And again, we, we have the example that George set, which was really unprecedented because, frankly, our work in our community, we have to be aware that it doesn't turn ethnocentric. We need to support ourselves. We need to support one another. And we need to look inward, obviously. But we also need to look outward. And a lot of our institutions don't do that. And when faced with the challenge of how to do that, they stumble through it a lot of times because it's not natural, but it's in the DNA of the hall. It's something I've been so proud of, the idea that, you know, $6 million in scholarships and programs, uh, all of these special needs athletes that have been put through training and things from grants from the hall. And when you look back at the low points that the hall suffered after the financial crisis, you know, it was less than $6 million that the hall needed to put together. Mm -hmm. And here's this money that had been given out to people of all backgrounds for all different reasons mm -hmm. because the place was and has always been an institution with a lot of heart. And so I'm, I'm really proud that for a place that has seen lows, you can always look back and say, yes, we could have kept all that money in and, you know, put it in brick and mortar and burnished the monument to the Italian American community. But in truth, it went back out to people who really needed it and it impacted their lives in great ways. I mean, to meet I've met so many athletes, handicapped athletes that still come and participate. Some have been inducted in the hall that meant a huge amount to their careers. And that's the legacy, one of the many legacies that George, I think, will always have. Just somebody who looked after everybody no matter what they were. And I think that that's really just a blessing. So uh, for me, the idea that this is going to be part of the new place is really, really exciting. So, you know, oftentimes you don't get to have the story of, kind of life, death, and rebirth, you know, but this is, for me, something I'm really proud of and wanted to share because we got the great news this week that we, we have a new home, and I've been looking forward to just having those days back and being together in the hall and being able to see the history, celebrate with one another, and I know what uh, what the last place meant to my life growing up in my formation, and I'm really convinced that this new facility that you've really shepherded through it's going to mean the same and more to a lot of young people of all backgrounds. So uh, congratulations to you for bringing us here. And I just, I, I couldn't be happier that this is how we get to look forward to the new year. Well, you know what, John, thank you very much. And I got to say, we've got a great board, as you remember, um, great support. You know, everybody's in it for the right reason. And everybody's like, yeah, you know, just, just giving me the support that I need to, to accomplish what, what I think we need as, as a, as an organization. But you know, everybody, including yourself, getting their hands dirty, being on meetings. Uh, I mean, you know, it just means a lot. When, when you have a board and you have a, a support system that is truly supportive for the right reasons, uh, it's it's how things get done. And you've been part of probably 100 boards by now. Um, probably had your, your challenges on a couple of these boards. You know, when you get you know, there's adversarial and uh, relationships and divisiveness. And But I can tell you, that's not with this group. And I'm, I'm very, very excited about it. Yeah, it's a great bunch of people. And the inductees, too. Yeah. They're just as excited about it. You know, when I was awarded the presidency, and I mean, the calls I'm getting from these, like, Hall of Famers, like, you know, Dan Marino call. You know, I mean, the great calls of support that I received really underscored the importance of what this Hall of Fame means to those people. Yeah. What it means, I mean, my Tommy was freaking in tears. Like I was, you know, I mean, we started talking about George and he was tearing up and he was like, I thought this was going away. 
I mean, you know, like you said, this has been a part of Tommy's definitely. Oh my God, it's everybody's Uncle Tommy. He, every year at the gala, yeah. uh, the time of the sort of golf outing, a numerous anytime George called. It was another. That was another father son relationship, <laughs> yeah. constantly. And Tommy and and I wound up having a father son kind of relationship with him as well because he always yell at me, but then feel bad. Like at the galas, <laughs> everything I wanted him to do. Tommy, I need you over here. Son of a, what do you need me to come over? <laughs> I'm not coming over. But yeah. the funny thing about Tommy, as you know, he he. Uh, I mean, he. I had him speak. Pretty much every gal except for the last couple. You know, yeah. the last couple, I would bring the microphone to his table and he would stand up and everybody give him a standing ovation. And he'd you know, say a little hello and just beautiful. But he would be part of the program. And it got to the point, John, which I swear to God, this is what happened. He'd ask me which jokes he used last year. Because he had like 12 <laughs> of the same jokes every year, the same thing. Did I ever tell you the Kenny S. Ramonti, Tommy Lasorda story? I, I bet I haven't told you this. This is what I, No, not me. So I, uh, you know, Kenny S. Ramonti, another, another member of uh, yep. the hall. He was a great ball player and manager for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I got to NIAF, he was still, he still is, but he, he, he had been a member of the board of NIAF for a long time. And uh, we just took a liking to each other because we met at the hall and things like that. So, he received an award in Texas, in the Italian American community in Houston, I believe, it gave him a lifetime achievement award, and he invited me to come. And so I flew down, and uh, I was hanging out with Charlie Tirano, who's a native Italian American Texan and a great friend and a really active Italian American. And we were at the cocktail hour, you know, doing the auction, whatever. And we were laughing about the story that Tommy told many, many times, and how many times we'd heard it, where some reporter asked Tommy if he played Mike Sosha because Mike Sosha was Italian and Tommy got all mad and put on this front and said, no, I, how dare you accuse me? I, you know, I play Sosha because I'm Italian American and everybody laughed and yada, yada. So we're at the dinner and Kenny's saying, gosh, I don't know what I'm going to say in the speech. He's really very anxious about getting up there and he gets up and he tells Tommy's story, but he puts himself and an Italian American player from when he was the manager of the Indians into the story and he tells the whole Tommy story as if it was his. And everybody's laughing. And, I, and Charlie and I turned to each other and said, that, that story gets yet another replay yeah. from you know, the Lasorda playbook. A new birth, a new life. Yeah, yeah Tom- he, he had these, he's had these like six or eight every year to the point where he'd say, which one did I use last year? And I would literally on my notes, okay, use the, uh, use the, the skating rink one. You use the chicken one, you use the dog one. Okay, so I'm going to use, okay, so, all right, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll do the cab driver one, and uh, every year it was the same one. No, don't do it. You did the cab driver one two years ago, Tommy, and it was a dud. Why don't you do the one? I mean, it was hysterical. That's the conversation we would have with Tommy. He's one of a kind. Oh, my God. Well, before we go, I want to give the audience a little bit of insight into how they can find us. So where can they find us online, and when can they expect to come to the new museum? God willing, we get back to normal. Well, you know, Johnny, I know that's a big, a big, if I can tell you, I've got two milestone dates that I want to hit something with. Uh, May 18th will be the 40th anniversary of when the Joe DiMaggio statue was first given to us, you know, first installed. Mm. So May 18th with the statue, if it's just that or partial of the Hall of Fame, that'll be something. October, I think it's 20, 21st um, of next year will, would, uh, would have been George's 80th birthday. Wow. So something will happen on that day as well. Yeah. So those are my two dates to work towards something. I can tell you that one of the things I liked about this building so much is that it's, uh, I mean, it's ready to rock and roll for the most part. There's not a whole lot of building per se. I mean, it's all just topical. And so uh, my point in saying that it's pretty quick, you know, it can, it can happen. The exhibitry is, is just so beautiful and we have it all from the last home. So a lot of that part of it's done. So like I said, there's, there's a lot that can happen pretty quickly. It's the funding that we're looking for. Um, and we're getting a lot of contractors and uh, contributors that want to help us. But to put together the, uh, uh, let's say, $300,000 figure that we're going to need for the uh, build out, that's going to take longer than the build out itself. So those are the dates. If something's going to happen by those two dates. You can go to NIASHF. Dot org, National Town American Sports Hall of Fame.org. And uh, you can see all the good things that's uh, happening to us. We're trying to keep as communicative as possible, letting people know. A lot of people want to know uh, what's happening. The inductees more than anybody. Uh, because there was a while there that, you know, when George passed away and the office was a little, I mean, this, this we didn't plan. I mean, I didn't know this was going to happen. Obviously, it was tragic and sudden. So we were, you know, how do you prepare for that? 
So there was a period of time when there was a, a great uncertainty, and you know that, John, uh, of great uncertainty. I mean, we had stuff in boxes in, uh, in, uh, in storage, and, and George, and we're trying to figure out now George is gone. Uh, I mean, there was, a, there was a period when people thought there would not be a Hall of Fame any longer. And the people who were most concerned about it, besides a few of us inner circle people, of course, are the inductees themselves. The Ron Santo family called me very concerned. Matt Biondi. Uh, I mean, they, so many called, like, you know, I got my stuff there. I mean, you know, if you're not going to have it, we'd like to have it back. And uh, no, no, you know, Joe Amato is calling. We got my, my roadster there. You know, he did the, he broke the, the, the record of 260 miles an hour with that car. We got it. Wow. But yeah, it was, it was uncertainty, but now, you know, everything's looking so, so bright, you know, with all this Columbus stuff that was going on as you, you've, you've had many episodes on and, we, you know, we work very hard and continue to work, working very hard right now to this day, on this day, and next couple of days and next week on the whole Columbus thing. That could be another episode we could talk maybe oh, yeah. about what's happening here. Cause it's, it's, it's pretty intense, just like everywhere, but yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I just have to say, John, that once again, what you've accomplished, uh, again, you came up, you, you are a little brother to all of us here at the Hall of Fame. You rose up the ranks at, at, uh, at NIAF, became, you know, a Charles in charge over there. <laughs> and then this Italian American podcast. I mean, you're, and, and so many other things like, like those great dinners. Uh, I don't, I don't even want to talk about them. But like, <laughs> yeah. We have, yeah, a, yeah. we have a little private men's dining club in Brooklyn that, uh, Ronnie, George, and my dad put together. Those have been some of the best Italian-American events I've ever been to. Oh, come on. 60 guys, Danny Aiello. We had Tony Orlando last time. A, a party for Frankie Valley. A party for Mike Piazza. You know, tell Pops we got to get some of those things back up. But my point here <laughs> is that, you know, those events, what you've risen in the ranks, and, um, you know, the little stuff that I'm doing, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's not – I don't want to say it's not fun anymore because it's fun. Yeah. But it's freaking necessary what we're doing. Yeah. And it's necessary what you're doing. So just anything we can do to support you. And we wish you the best of luck and congratulations on your successes. This great podcast uh, that, that I know you're, you're just so successful with. We all listen to it here in Chicago. And, um, you know, you keep rocking and rolling, brother. We love you very, very much. I love you guys too, Ronnie. And I, I really I hope that those in our audience who have not heard of the hall or have not been to the hall now can look forward to the new place and uh and if, if they want to throw some support behind it i mean you know raising money in a time like this is difficult i we understand that but you know if you want to give to a good cause this is a great organization with a wonderful legacy of, of generosity mm -hmm. so before we go i'm going to ask you one question and i'm going to tell you mine tell me your favorite item in the hall of fame collection wow um well, we talked about two of them. Like I said, I think I think the the playbook really blew my mind. Uh, I, I mean, you know, it's one thing to have a piece of memorabilia that was there at a certain time when they when they um, broke some record or something, some pair of shoes or something. But when you have something like that Vince Lombardi book that speaks to the genius of the icon himself, and you look at it, and say, holy crap! You know, they're, they're guys that today, to this day would love to see this, the, the genius of a sport. I mean, before computers, before internet, before all this stuff, you know, that will always be something I'm so proud of. I'll tell you another thing, though, and the inspiration uh, that you receive from all this stuff, every piece, every little shoelace in that Hall of Fame has got just a great story attached to it. So and, and, it, and it, it, it's, it's, it's inspirational. It's um, moving. It's just. It's uh, informational, historic. I mean, it's, it's also great. Um, the stuff that we got from the 1980 hockey team, Olympic hockey team, Mike Caruzioni, the puck, the jersey from that, you know, uh, do you believe in miracles? Uh, game. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, if, if you if you watch one sports movie, you know, go watch Miracle. You know, uh, I've never seen it. Johnny, watch it. Watch it. Here. Get off this freaking podcast right now. <laughs> Put it on. It's a great thing. I'm, tomorrow night. Hello great movie because it's it's spectacular and that moment and i'll tell you what it would be cool if before that though google the moment itself the live moment what it actually happened because you really get more out of the movie when you see what happened i mean yeah well you got a bunch of freaking young guys that got onto all of a sudden on the olympic hockey team that they, they i mean they didn't i mean on paper not a chance yeah. and then you got you know finland and russia 
who they grew up with hockey sticks in their in their cribs. Yeah. I mean, especially Russia, not a chance. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you got L. Michaels with three seconds left. Do you believe in miracles? And, the, <laughs> and this, a USA hockey team wins the gold medal. It's just incredible. So there's your long story. But that's I think about that. And I think about that a lot. And Mike Ruzioni is a big part of our Hall of Fame. Yeah. Wonderful guy, a wonderful speaker. If there's a way to get him on your podcast, totally suggest it. Oh we'll yeah, both try to do that and facilitate. And after you watch the movie, you want that. I, you know, I never, uh, I never really thought about going through the inductees as podcast guests. I should because the audience will go crazy for it. But yeah. I always got to separate the two in my mind. You know, it's amazing the stuff. I mean, you're right. Lombardi's playbook's like the closest thing we can get to AI from that era. You know, it's his brain yep. in a book. Yep. Uh, for me, I think if I had to pick the one piece that meant the most to me and it's not really part of the collection, actually, it was always remember on the wall. It was, it was a facsimile of it. Actually. It wasn't even the original. I don't know where the original is. Um, when you'd go to the elevator on the wall, there was a scan of the first gala they ever did. George invited uh, Frank Sinatra yeah. and Sinatra telegrammed him back saying, you know, I wish I could, I can't make it. Italian American boxers are my kind of people. Yep. And he, he closed the, the telegram by saying, punch somebody in the nose for me, kisses Frank Sinatra. And I remember as a teenager going into the hall and seeing that, you know, written out to George and thinking, this is the closest I'll get to the Rat Pack. You know, George had that, had a, he was a much more reserved guy, but he, he had that kind of easy coolness to him. And the fact that he had a personal telegram from Frank Sinatra that said, punch somebody in the nose for me and kisses Frank Sinatra was like, to me, the coolest thing I could uh, ever imagine. So for me, I think the, the artifact is, uh, is a George one more than anything else. So I look forward to seeing it again in Pride of Place and all of these wonderful items very, very soon. And uh, as soon as we get the all clear, I'll be down to Chicago and we'll get to hang out and catch up in person and put some work in. I'll roll up my sleeves. I'll, I'll help you with the screw gun this time. Don't worry. I could use the help. I'm not as as uh, as young and 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 uh, good with a screw gun anymore. So I can, uh, <laughs> well, that's what Italian power is all about. We got to do. What we got to do. Well, Ronnie, thank you. God bless you. Have a beautiful, blessed Thanksgiving to you and the whole family. And uh, I look forward to doing this again. Hey, man, love you, brother, and my best to you, your your lovely, beautiful wife. Uh, I haven't seen her since the Lauren days. I think <laughs> that's right. And and best of pops too. Tell him we said hi, huh? I will do. I look forward to it. I'm going to tell him we need to have another dinner. Absolutely. <laughs> well, from all of us, the Italian American podcast, hope you enjoyed your holiday and enjoyed this great episode. And we look forward to seeing you at the Italian American Sports Hall of Fame out in Chicago real soon. So thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week. See that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italiano.